bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come this morning to open your word, to enter into this time of reflection, moving toward the Lord's Supper, God, I pray that, again, you would remind us of your greatness, that you would remind us of your presence, that you would remind us of what you have accomplished, that we can find hope in, we can find joy in, we can find peace in, even in the midst of suffering and struggle, even in the midst of, of uh, hurt. Lord, I pray that you would use this time to guide our hearts and minds in powerful and wonderful ways. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 22. We're going to be looking, uh, as we've been moving through the Psalms and, and looking at uh, the various reflections there, the, the worship of Israel as it communicates the truth of who God is and who God has called us to be as His people. Um, we've seen uh, a variety of different expressions. We've seen a variety of different ways of communicating uh, with God. Um, and we've already encountered the lament once, but uh, today we come to Psalm 22, which is one of the, the, the greater pictures of lament, um, expressions of sorrow, expressions of grief in the midst of uh, very difficult times and, and struggles. And uh, I think we'll see as we go through this and, and look at what's revealed here and how it relates to the ministry and life of Jesus as well, we'll see just how appropriate this psalm is for uh, Lord's Supper uh, that we'll be taking here uh, in just a few moments. Follow along with me, if you will. It says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me or forsaken me? Why are you so far from my deliverance, from my words of groaning? My God, I cry to you by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. It was you who brought me out of the womb making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me because distress is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments amongst themselves. They cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength comes quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. You answered me. 
I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All who you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. For he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. I will give praise in the assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Even the one who cannot preserve his own life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will continue and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. When you read this psalm, it's in many ways similar to Psalm 23 in that you cannot help but read this and think of our Savior Jesus. And whereas Psalm 23 reflects upon his pastoral nature and his ability to lead us and to guide us and to minister to us, Psalm 22 reflects his priestly, his, his, his prophetic nature as well as the one who died in our place, the sacrifice. When you read, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You think of his words on the cross. When you read in verse 16, they have pierced my hands and feet. You think of the crucifixion. When you look at verse 18 and see the reflection upon them casting lots over the clothing, you think of the soldiers who did that with our Savior's clothing. But this psalm is firstly about the suffering of the psalmist. It's about David and his struggle. Something David was encountering. David, as he writes the psalm, is not looking into the future and looking toward the cross and looking toward what would happen there. That is something that God used the words of David to, to, to guide us to and, and to, to direct us to and to help us to understand. But David himself is writing a psalm about his experience, about his grief, about his sorrow. And we see some distinctions between what's going on with him and, and what happened with Jesus on the cross. We see in verse 2 that the suffering is long term. We see in, in verse 6, we see his, his uh, self-humiliation, his, his, his perspective of himself as a worm and, and not a man, as something less than what he should be. We see in his expressions in verse 9 and 10, the infancy expressions that, that don't really correspond with, with Jesus as the one who is fully God. And we see in verses 19 through 21 an expectation of deliverance from the suffering before death. And in fact, in verse 21c, we see that he is in fact delivered from death. He says, you have answered me. You have delivered me from this death that I've experienced. Jesus died on the cross. His cry of anguish, his, his sorrow, his, the, the pain, the, everything that he experienced, he was not delivered from that per se. Yes, he did rise again three days, and we'll look at that more in a moment. But the moment of suffering, the moment of, of 
of experience he was not delivered from. He had to go through that death. And so we see here some expressions from David. We see some expressions of of hurt, and, and we see here some expressions that we ourselves can identify with. Because we too experience suffering. We, we too experience uh, hardship and grief from those who would abuse us, those who don't understand, those who, who don't relate to our God and our Savior, and sometimes even those who do relate to our God and Savior, who mistreat, who, who, who hurt us with their words. I don't think there's anybody in this room who has not experienced the, the sorrow of loss that this world brings. Whether it's the loss of a loved one, the loss of a, a job or a relationship, the, the loss of, of well-being, the loss of health. We've all gone through sorrow. We've all gone through grief. And it's songs like this expressions like this that help us to see that God understands that sorrow. God understands that grief because this song is about the crucifixion as well. Besides the ones I've already mentioned, you, you, you see the jeering in verses 7 and 8. I in fact believe that Jesus when he utters those words on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I believe he was in fact trying to pray this psalm. I think that was his intention. I don't think it was a, a cry of, of complete abandonment as it's sometimes been characterized. I think you have some real problems with the Trinity if you, if you go that direction, to be honest. I think Jesus instead was trying to pray this psalm. I think... This was a psalm that he had grew, grown up hearing. This is a, a psalm that he would have known, obviously, of God. And as he's on the cross, and as he's feeling abandoned, as he's feeling the, the pain, as he's feeling the sin, as he's feeling all those things that he encountered there on the cross, his mind would have been directed toward the psalm. And I think he began to sing it, to pray it there on the cross. But because of the, the lack of oxygen that he was experiencing there on the cross, because of the, 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 the torment, the, the overwhelming nature of the cross, not just the physical element, but the spiritual element that, of all that was going on there, all he could get out was that first line. But in that moment, in that line, in that, in that connection, in the, in the other allusions that we have in this passage, we see the connection between Jesus' suffering and our suffering. I think it's embedded in his words related to the Lord's Supper when he says, do this in remembrance of me. What is he saying there? He's not simply saying, don't forget what I've done for you. That's a big part of it. That's an important part of it. We always need to remember what Christ has done for us. It's in that knowledge, it's in that recollection that we we gain strength and we gain uh, perspective on life. But if you remember that in the biblical sense, the, the word remember means it is, a, is a covenant word. It's a connection word. 
that I think what Jesus is, is trying to say there is that as we take the, the elements of the Lord's Supper, as we remember Him, we are connecting with Him. We're connecting with the event of the cross. We're connecting with the event of His death. We're connecting with the, the, the realities that are involved there. And there are several ways that that connection takes place. Number one, both His death and our suffering are the result of sin. Now be very careful here, and I, and I, want, I want to be very careful here to, to reiterate what I, what I often say when this subject comes up. I don't mean to suggest that because you're going through some difficulty in your life at some moment or some time, that that's God's punishment for some specific sin that you've just committed. That's, that's our go-to. That's our, that's our mindset. A lot of times we'll, we'll experience something painful or something hurtful and we'll say, what? What did I do to deserve this? Or, or, or God, please forgive me for whatever I did and remove this pain from me. That is certainly something that happens at times. And I but I believe that when that happens, it will be abundantly clear that there's a connection between the sin we committed and the punishment we're receiving. I don't think it'll be a mystery. I don't think it'll be something where we'll be seeking or where we'll be uh, you know, trying to understand, well, what is it that I did wrong? If there's a connection between the sin and the punishment, I believe God will make it clear. Otherwise, there's no sense in the punishment. It's like when you have a dog. Okay? You know, a dog does something. You're potty training your dog. Okay? And they, they make their mess in the house or whatever. Okay? What, what do the dog experts tell us? You can't punish that dog unless you're right there at the very moment it happens. Because the dog has no idea what you're punishing them for. They have no way of connecting that, that bad activity to what the punishment is they're receiving. And so you don't punish them in that, that case. You just say, oh, well, I missed that one. Go on. I believe that when God punishes us for sin, he does so in a way that we know what we're being punished for. He's not some random... Uh, individual up there who's just like, oh, let's do some smiting today. Who am I going to smite today? Oh, they did something wrong. Whatever. He has a purpose in all of his interactions. He has, a, he has an engagement with us that, that is teaching us, that's training us, that's helping us to grow. And so if there is a, a, a punishment that's growing out of a sin, I believe we'll know. But I do believe that any sorrow we experience, any grief we experience, any hardship that we experience grows out of the fact that sin exists in this world. That it's a fallen world. That, that sometimes what people do to us is because of their sin. Sometimes what happens to us is because nature itself has been corrupted by sin. Paul says that what? That, that creation itself groans for the day of deliverance because it has been affected by the realities of sin. And so when we experience loss, when we experience hurt, it is because sin exists in this world. But in even in even bigger way, Jesus' death on the cross was because sin exists in this world. He came to deal with sin. He came to deal with death. He came to respond to that and say, declare that God has victory over that sin. You see, in our lives and in our difficulties, we're under the sway of sin. Again, not necessarily in terms of committing sins, but we're under the sway of its influence. 
we're affected by it. We're, we're influenced by it. We're, we're hurt by it. And Jesus proclaims, he declares there on the cross, I've dealt completely and finally and totally with it. Because he, he said what? It's finished. It's been paid for. It's been covered. It's, it's been dealt with. And so we enjoy, in our relationship with Christ, we enjoy the, the first fruits of that. The joy that we experience in the fellowship of, of coming together. The joy we experience in, in, in reading His Word. The, the, the comfort and the peace that He grants in the difficult times of life. The hope that He instills as we travel through this life and its experience. Those are all the first fruits. The, 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 they're the, they're the, the tasting of the great banquet that we'll enjoy one day as we fellowship with Him in eternity. And so His suffering and our suffering are both the results of sin. But also His suffering and our suffering have a place in the plan, in God's purposes. In verse 23 and 24 here, it talks about uh, how those who fear the Lord will praise Him and, and the descendants of Jacob uh, honor Him. And, and for why? Because He's not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide His face from Him, but listened when He cried to Him for help. And the passage goes on to, to reflect how there is meaning that comes out of the suffering. Why? Because God brings meaning out of it. One of the biggest struggles I think we have when we go through hardship, whatever it may be, small hardships, if you can call anything a small hardship, or the great ones, is the, is the sense of trying to gain some understanding of why and what it means and where this is all going and what's the purpose of it. And sometimes we can, we can get wrapped up in that and, and, and confused by that and, and, and just totally disconnected by that thought. But the psalmist wants us to understand here in this journey that, that he's going through from, from this pain and this sorrow to this praise of God that there is a lot that God can do with our suffering. There are things that God can do with our pain that, that we can't even imagine in the midst of. There's hope that God can instill. There's, there's, there's purpose God can give to it. That's certainly the case of the cross. When you look at the cross, you look at it from the perspective of the disciples. Three years they had walked with Jesus. Three years they had listened to his teaching, sat at his feet and seen him laugh and seen him bring hope and joy to people as he healed them and helped them and directed them. And then that Saturday, they're sitting there, no doubt, in hiding, fear of their own lives, but also wondering, where was the purpose? We just spent three years following this guy. We, 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 we left our families. We left our jobs. We left everything we had to follow this man, and now he's dead. Where's the purpose? Where's the direction? Where's, the, where's God in the midst of all this? But Sunday morning, they came to understand. 
there is something greater. And while we may never get the answers we seek in terms of what's the purpose or what's what's the lesson or what's the direction, sometimes God will give us that, but, but sometimes it just doesn't come. We can know and we can trust that there is an ultimate purpose that God is using even our suffering for His glory. And that there will be a day when we will understand. Why? Because as the psalmist says here, we know this is who God is because of how He treated our forefathers. We know this is who God is for us because of what He's done before, what He did on the cross, what He did that Easter morning. I love the fact that the psalm ends with this this declaration that by what is happening to David in this instance and ultimately Christ on the cross, all the ends of the earth will hear of the fame of God. Verse 27. And then verse 28, For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. He is victorious. The cross is an expression of great sorrow. It's an expression of great grief and and pain far beyond anything we can imagine or I could describe. But it is also a statement of victory. When you look at the gospel writers, John especially focuses upon this element that the cross is victory. It's in John that we read, if I be lifted up, I'll gather all men to myself. It's in John that, that, that we read, for this purpose I came. It's in John that we read, it is finished. I have been successful in carrying out the will of the Father. And so we see the glory of God there, even in the midst of suffering. And, and as we gain perspective, as we gain insight, as we grow in our faith, God can lead us to the truth that He is worthy of praise even in the midst of our hurt and our pain. We can love Him just because of who He is. So what does this mean for us? It means for us, the connection that we see here, it means that His suffering is God's response to our suffering. spent most of my life studying religion, various religions. One of the first classes I took at a secular university before I even started studies was a world religions course, just to see what other people were saying about these religions. And one of the things that that you see in in all these religions is, is a search for meaning and the search for an answer to the problem of evil. Why does evil exist? Why do we hurt people? Why do we hurt each other? And one of the struggles is is trying to to find a way to to fit our view of God with our view of evil. And how do those two intertwine? And I'll be honest, I don't I don't have the answers for that. I I, I can give you some suggestions. I can give you some directions. But there are still times when I struggle with that. 
But there's one truth I know. There's one truth that sets Christianity apart. There's one truth that, that is so significant to me that, that it just overwhelms me when I stop to think about it. And that's simply this, that in Jesus Christ, God plays by the very rules He holds us to. He's not some God who's, who's up there who's just like, okay, I'm going to make these rules and, and these are what you have to do and, and you're going to suffer and you're going to go through all these things and you're going to have to deal with all these things and, and that's just the way it is because I'm God and you're not and that's the way it's just going to be. And shame on you or pity on you for having to go through this. He's a God who came and dwelled among us. Who breathed the air we breathe. Who felt the pain we feel. The pain of abandonment. Of loss. Of ridicule and gossip. Can't imagine what Jesus' childhood was like. Growing up in that little bitty podunk town of Nazareth. Where everybody knew everybody else's business. And everybody knew that Mary was pregnant before she got married to Joseph. The rumors that must have been spread about him in that community. It's undeniable that people were saying such things. There's not any experience you're going through, any sorrow or grief that he didn't feel. Our God plays by the very rules he established. He stepped into history and he identifies with us. We don't serve a God who doesn't understand. We serve a God who's been there and who has overcome. And because He's overcome, He is, as this psalm says, He is the King. The Lord, Yahweh is King. All the families and the nations will bow down before You. They will come and declare your righteousness to a people not yet born. They will declare what He has done. And as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, that's what we're doing. We're declaring what Christ has done. What He has accomplished. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this time. Lord, now I, I pray that as we enter into this time of Lord's Supper, God, God, I pray first that you would help us all to, to reflect and, and to consider the lives we live before you. God, that you would bring conviction, that you would bring comfort, that in this moment we would lay those things before you and declare that you are who you claim to be, the Savior, the Lord, the hope of our lives. Lord, as we take of these elements, I pray that you would help us to, um, to see this more than just as more than just a symbol, more than just a, a practice that we do. But Lord, as a, as a declaration of who you are 
and who we are in you. Help us to see the the power of the cross. Not just in dealing with sin, but in dealing with our suffering. Help us to understand and to live accordingly. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.